0: Hello and welcome to episode 65 of The Witcher, chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 15 from Season of Storms. So just one chapter today, but there are two, you guessed it, interludes there are interludes in between chapters 15 and 16 so we're gonna cover both of those it's gonna be a weird transition too because while the two interludes are very related in like the plots of those interludes um, they're not very related to all the stuff that's going on in chapter 15 Um, so I've been trying to like kind of include everything in each episode like like since I've been doing season of storms and all the chapters are really short, I've been trying to group the chapters in each podcast episode so that it ends off in a good spot. Like it's kind of cohesive and consistent um, as far as what's going on in the story, but um, that's not really the case today with those interludes. But I I, I just had to make a decision um, based on. Like timing and chapter length, and so it, we're getting a little bit, uh, a little bit all over the place here. But that's okay. Um, it's just, it, th- these books were not written <laughs> with me doing a podcast in mind. So Kowski wasn't thinking about that when he wrote these books, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, that's why they're going to be a little, a little messy. But uh, I don't think it really matters that much. I don't think. I don't think it's that big of a deal, so just just wanted to let you know that, so that way when we are done talking about what goes on in chapter fifteen, and you're like, and you feel like you got whiplash. Um, that's just that's where my my brain is at when it comes to this stuff. But anyway, enough of that. Um, I'll give you the recap of what we last discussed, uh, where we left off in the previous episode followed by the summary of chapter 15 and the interludes. And then we'll discuss the heck out of it. So for the recap, Geralt, in his quest to reach Novigrad with haste for the impending auction of his prized swords, embarks on a faithful voyage aboard a vessel manned by a crew determined to rescue an abducted elven child taken by an aguara. Tragically, their efforts are in vain as the young girl meets her untimely demise at the hands of a merchant on board. Now, with the Aguara seeking retribution and intent on reclaiming her stolen child, the crew must make a hurried escape to evade her wrath. All right, here's the summary, chapter 15, and the interludes. The crew's attempt to evade the clutches of the Aguara proves to be an arduous one as the wily creature conjures up deceptive illusions to mislead and steer them toward perilous traps. After finally managing to board the Prophet Labiota, the Aguara reclaims her departed daughter, but not before threatening Geralt for defending the guilty. Just as the crew begins to believe they're out of harm's way, the sly Aguara unleashes one final illusion that prompts almost everyone to leap into the treacherous leech-infested waters and meet their watery demise. Fleeing on a lifeboat are Geralt, the Dwarf Adario, and the merchant, Van Vliet, while the captain of the battered prophet Lebiota stays behind, ready to possibly go down with the ship. In the first interlude, the Borsodi's Brothers auction takes place in Novigrad. Geralt's swords are sold to Molnar Giancardi, who purchased them on the instruction of none other than Yennefer. Yennefer was in this interlude. Wasn't expecting it. I really wasn't. We'll talk about it more, though. We also finally learn here that this... Or, I'm sorry. We also finally learn here that the thief is a man by the name of Nicofor Moose who Geralt encountered multiple times in Kerak. The broker representing him was Pyro Pratt's daughter, Antia Darius. Buying back Geralt's swords was not Yennefer's only deed in the recovery process, as she also made sure that Moose got what he deserved by magically having the gold he received for the sale turn into crap <laughs> as he tried to spend it back in Karak really amusing. We'll get to it though, but we're going to go, we're going to take it back to the beginning of chapter 15. We're going to go into a lot of detail talking about this very wild adventure that takes place on the prophet Lebiota. So the last thing that they experienced uh, before chapter 15 picks up, they were on this boat, and then there's the sudden storm. They also, or they almost did not make it out of the storm. It was really bad. Um, they made it out, though, but it landed them in these unfamiliar waters. And then a sighting of the Aguara herself made a few of them kind of freak out, but not everybody saw her. She was watching them from the bow of a tree. It was really spooky. Um, so when we pick up in Chapter 15 here, they don't know what they're in store for, as they're still unaware of what she's capable of. But because only a few of them saw her um the whole crew isn't too panicked yet uh but they get panicked pretty quickly right out the gate they see a bunch of different kinds of snakes on the riverbank that they're nearing so the boat's kind of like steering in the direction where they see all these snakes and uh, yeah that's a that's a sight that's gonna scare you especially because some of them definitely are venomous like they can tell um like Geralt can identify the breeds of these snakes so um they know that they're venomous and they all start shouting to steer the boat away from the bank but Captain Pudlerak and he immediately does so he listens to them uh he wants nothing to do with those snakes either and Geralt says no don't do that keep as you were we're being tricked because there's actually no snakes. (laughs) It's just an illusion that the Aguar has created to get us to sail in the direction she wants us to sail in and probably to also cause chaos, which clearly works. As one of the deckhands jumps into the water as a venomous yet illusory snake lands on deck, and when the deckhand jumps in the water, it says that blood frothed on the surface. And then Geralt warns that there's a lupostra, whatever um and it's real that's not an illusion that thing is real and uh just got that guy that jumped in so pretty quickly we see how crafty she is so when he's explaining that the snakes aren't real some people like that swell guy fish he doesn't believe that she's capable of of creating illusions he doesn't think that she can do as much as Geralt saying that she can but Geralt says yeah dude she can and she is creating illusions and he says I wonder how long she's been doing it like this might not even be the first thing that's that's fake like the storm was probably real but she's making us see snakes she's making the river courses appear incorrectly. that's one thing that's for certain and she's also probably messing with the compass needle so that we are staying in this dangerous area so right after the catastrophe with the snakes, there's some bad timing where a real live snake <laughs> is dangling from this overhanging branch. And then one of the deckhands holds his hand out towards it. And he's like, oh, this, this isn't real then, right? And well, it is. <laughs> it just happens to be a real snake after Geralt just got done explaining that uh, they were fake. And the snake bites him in the neck a few times and he dies. It's just really awful timing that this venomous snake is dangling overhead right after they're learning about all these other snakes that they just saw uh, being imaginary. So Geralt warns them that even though the Aguara is playing mind tricks, we are in fact in a dangerous place, so please be heedful. I don't think that every little dangerous thing is an illusion, but also know that some things might be it's not a good situation to be in it's really uh if you are um not sure what's an illusion and what's not like it's just what what can you really do here you just have to be as careful as you possibly can but all it's just bad it's not an easy thing that they're dealing with here so the rest of the group starts to notice um that they're not in a very safe area when they see this old wrecked ship in the mud. So this is a place where um, shipwrecks are easy to come by. Uh, so certainly a very dangerous place that they landed in, even without getting chased by a vengeful, vengeful aguara. They never would have come here intentionally, of course, but that they didn't mean to. Um, so just after this man dies by snake they notice that the boat is heading straight for this huge, extremely treacherous whirlpool. Uh, But the whirlpool, it starts at the beginning of one of two branches on the river, so they just got to steer in the direction of the opposite branch to avoid it. Seems simple enough, right? Well, they're sailing on, they get around the whirlpool, they're past the fake snakes, but they're not out of the woods because, of course, it couldn't be that easy. So the aguara... Is standing on a tree bough that they're passing. And this time everybody sees her. So she starts to bark and Geralt can tell that her bark, it was a warning or a demand. And I just found it kind of funny. I kept thinking, Oh my God, that freaking song from, well, I don't even know when that was like 2010 or something that, what does the Fox say? That song kept popping into my head so many times when I was reading this chapter. Um, Because you you guys, know that I read these chapters a bunch before recording these episodes, every time I read this chapter, that song came into my head because it said that she would bark. And I I kept thinking, do foxes bark? What do foxes? Yep. What what does a fox say? There you go. It's in my head. That's great. And now it's in my head again talking about it. But once I'm done with this episode, hopefully I won't have to think of that song again for a while. Uh, So yeah, She's barking. And Geralt thinks that it's a demand. There's something in her, in the tone of these barks that uh, sound like there's a demand. And with the previous sighting of this creature that's hunting them and Geralt's warning, the others start trying to come up with ideas of how to get out of this situation. So, fish. Fish suggests that they tie the dead child's body to a barrel and toss her overboard so that the Aguara will stop chasing them to mourn her daughter. And the wise people on board don't like the idea of Fish's charming plan, so they dismiss it, but it does give others ideas. Uh, They consider that the merchant, Parlehi, one, he was the one that killed her. Um, So they should just send him out with the child. And then the Aguara, she can warn the daughter and she can take her revenge on him, leaving the the rest to go free. But Captain Pudlarak rejects the idea. And I found this kind of interesting because that was, honestly, that was my first thought was, why don't they just hand over the guy that killed her? I mean, he deserves whatever she might do to him um and you could just use your imagination thinking of what revenge she would take directly on the person that she became aware of having killed her daughter um but i don't know i think he would deserve a really bad fate like that um i think it might just be a case though of like we're all in this together since they all kidnapped the girl. Well, obviously Geralt and Adario had nothing to do with that, but everybody else on board, they were um, part of the kidnapping of this girl, taking the girl from the Aguara. So they kind of all might have to be responsible for the consequences of the kidnapping, because even if Parle- he didn't kill that girl, um, she'd be chasing them and doing all these things anyway, because she doesn't know at this point that she's dead. At this point, the, Poor girl's body is still below deck. So she's just think- she just thinks that she's only kidnapped and she's trying to get her back. So they don't offer parlay up to the she-fox. So we'll move on. Uh, they continue sailing and then they see something else scary. They see the exact same shipwreck that they already passed. Which means they're sailing in circles. Understanding that they are no closer to getting out of these deadly swamps than they previously were. So Geralt comes up with a suggestion to this problem that nobody likes and it is that they take the offshoot that is blocked by the whirlpool. So he's saying like, hey, we got to go through where that whirlpool is, because if we go to the right hand side again, uh, we're just going to keep going in circles and we'll never make it out of here. And the reason he suggests sailing a ship through a whirlpool is because it's probably not real. It might just be another illusion created by the Aguara to keep us in this dangerous swamp. And um, he does actually mention, by the way, that he is capable of recognizing weak illusions, but these are very powerful. So that's why he's not sure if the whirlpool is real or not. Uh, so another piece of evidence to demonstrate how powerful Aguaras are. They are really scary creatures. Don't want to cross them, which is exactly what these people have done. So Captain pudlerek is apprehensive to follow his advice and sail through the whirlpool. I, I get that. But he understands they really don't have another choice. They can risk it or they can be stuck sailing in circles and die in the swamp. So... Um, he sees this as the best option, so he goes for it. And luckily, it was an illusion. The whirlpool was not real, and they make it through safely. Safely, until the aguara appears again, <laughs> barking away, uh, with notes in her bark that sound, again, like a demand. But the demand was not meant for them. She sets a humongous fish-like monster called a Vodianoi on them. So she bewitched the monster and she sets it on the boat. It goes straight for them. It's furiously striking the side of the boat until the crew attacks it back with boat hooks. Then it just moves to another part of the boat and it goes for the rudder blade. So it grabs it with its teeth. It's shaking it and it breaks it off and then it leaves them alone. So the boat is now very badly damaged. Um, They're all mostly still alive though, but they're on a boat that they can't really steer. So... The vixen shows back up, barks again. She's barking away. And not knowing what to expect from her next and realizing that they're completely at her mercy, which she is showing none of, the crew decide to bring forth the girl's body along with Parlehi and place them in a lifeboat to drive the Aguara away, despite the captain's orders to not do this. But before they can put them in the boat, they see that fish... (laughs) who else has already taken the boat for himself? And he's sailing away and everybody's really mad at him, but he gets punished for his deceit pretty quickly. A giant crocodile just attacks, sending the boat up in a jet of water. And he did survive this encounter. Uh, so he survives the crocodile attacking his boat, going after him. He starts swimming he's trying to swim away as fast as he can. And he lands, flops down on his chest on this giant boulder or what he thinks is a boulder. It's not, it's a giant, giant turtle. (laughs) So many scary, deadly creatures in these parts. Uh, So the turtle attacks him, biting his arm. The crocodile catches up. It's fighting over the rest of him until they both get their own piece of fish. And that's the end of him. I won't miss him. So while the crew is watching this wild scene play out, Geralt uses this dis- distraction to take the girl's body. And before anyone can do anything, the boat steered under tree bow- tree boughs that the um, Aguara is on. And she uses this opportunity to step onto the boat. And he gently places her body down, the girl's body down before the Aguara. And upon seeing the approaching vixen, Parlehi, who's now on deck, he freaks out, he screams, He jumps overboard, and then he just sinks. We don't know exactly what got him. He was really, he was wasted, so he might have just sunk because he was too drunk to swim, uh, or something might have got him in the water. That's not unlikely, but he dies right away. So the fox woman kneels over her daughter, And Geralt addresses that something terrible happened, and even though it did, he's not going to allow her to harm these men. He he won't let her do it. And she responds by saying, okay, whatever, I'm taking my daughter, and I'll leave everyone be, but I'm coming back for you, you witcher. Since you stood in their defense, I'll come back when you least expect it. And threats like that are almost kind of worse than just immediately trying to take your revenge on someone, immediately taking action and trying to kill the person. The anticipation is very anxiety inducing. So that's not something you want to hear when you're Geralt um, or anybody. <laughs> so she takes off. Everyone's pretty emotional. So it looks like she left the rest of them off the hook. And Geralt is the only one that's going to suffer her revenge, which she seems like BS since They were the ones who did the kidnapping. They were the ones that got this whole thing started in the first place. But then they see out in the distance, they see cottages and a little sandy beach and what appears to be a fishing village. So they think they've made it back to civilization. They think they made it out alive, except the rudder blade is damaged from the Vodianoi. So the boat can't be steered and it's being carried right back into the swamp. And the whole crew, they say, hell no, I'm not going through that again. I'm getting the hell out of here. They start jumping overboard, thinking that they're just going to swim to this fishing village. But it's not a fishing village. (laughs) The image fades, and it's really just more swamp. So the Agora's final illusion works to get the crew to do exactly what they did. Jump into the water that is infested with deathly leeches that begin to immediately attack and kill every one of them. So she did take her revenge on the guys who were guilty. It's not just Geralt that she's going to come after. So then Adario gets the little lifeboat that wasn't left broken by the crocodile. So that was able to be salvaged. And he gets in it with Geralt and Van Vanvillier Van Vliet did not jump overboard. He was actually about to, but Adario stopped him. And Van Vliet, he was freaking out the whole time. He's like, Like, bent over, crying in the corner the whole time. Um, So Geralt, as he's getting in the boat, he offers Pudlarak, the captain, to join them. But he says, nah, I'm not going to abandon my ship. And they set out. Rowing away. That's the end of chapter 15. Such a riveting adventure. It was very suspenseful. I never knew what was going to happen. Like, it was... It was just incredibly unpredictable. And the Aguara is a really fascinating creature. That, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to know if there's more things that she's capable of. I'm sure, I I, I looked it up, that it's not a creature that Subkowski invented. Um, so I'm sure like other lore outside of the Witcher. But I would, I would love to see him, like if he were to ever write more Witcher books, I would love to see him bring Aguara's back. That was really... There was something. And, uh, yeah, it seems like Geralt was right, though. In the previous chapter, he said it's impossible to escape them. Like, once you kidnap their child, you will not stop them from coming after you until they get their child back. And even then, I don't know that they would just... Because in this situation, she created that illusion that got everybody to jump overboard and die. But, um if her daughter was actually alive when she got her back, I don't know that she would have done the same thing. Maybe like like I would think that she would want to take her revenge for them kidnapping her at all. I don't know though, but I would love to see how some would write that out more. If he ever decided to write more books or, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's all I had to say about that, but (laughs) wild stuff there. Okay, so the interlude. We're going to move into the first of two interludes. Um, this one covers the auction in Novigrad, the first one that we're going to talk about. So it's four days later, and Geralt is not present at the auction. So we saw that um, four days prior he got on that little boat. Uh, I'm guessing that, that whole business with the Aguara probably delayed him too much like he couldn't um he couldn't get there in time because that probably held him up also they were in a tiny little rowing boat so that even though with Dario it is said that he was rowing very fast um it probably still wasn't fast enough to get them to Novigrad considering the delay from trying to escape that um fox woman but there are some other interesting characters present. There is a halfling, Hoffmeier of Herundum, presumably Bernie Hoffmeyer, as Herundum was the um, place that he was said to have lived in in time of contempt when we met him. There's Marty Sodergren, the sorceress that Geralt met at the banquet in Aretuza and who worked in the medical tent during the Battle of Brenna. And she actually bid and won a medical treatise, which is very fitting. The banker, Vimy Vivaldi, who Geralt met in Eternal Flame, is present as a buyer. And, of course, the other dwarven banker that we've become familiar with in the past, Molnar Giancardi, is present. And he's the one who purchases Geralt's swords. And luckily, he does it for Yennefer, who bought them in order to get them back for Geralt. How she knew about this, how she knew that his swords were going to be for sale at the auction, it doesn't say. But it's very lucky for him that she did know And that she took action. So uh, Molnar and Yen, we will talk about what goes on with them, but they are not the only noteworthy people present at this auction. We finally get to learn who stole Geralt's swords. So his name is Nikephor Moose, maybe that's how you say it, (laughs) which is not a name that we would be familiar with, but we have come across him in this book. So in the beginning of the book, He was the one who was being forced out of the restaurant, the fancy place where Geralt was trying to have a nice meal when he got arrested. Um, So the place was called the Natura Rira Mosteria. Um, He was also this guy, Moose. He was the court scribe when Geralt was uh, at his hearing after being arrested. And he was the one who gave Geralt his personal effects back when he was released from jail. So this guy must have just known from being around Geralt's imprisonment that his swords were stored in the guardhouse, and as the person who handed him back his effects, he had access to the docket that needed to be presented to recollect the swords upon leaving the city. So it all makes sense. We also got answers on the broker representing them. So, um, when Geralt goes to Pyral Pratt to learn about the swords when he goes there and finds out that they were, that Pyro Pratt advised the broker to sell them at the auction. We learned that the, um, person, the broker is his daughter, is Pyro, Pyro Pratt's daughter. Um, yeah, so we didn't, he said that he knew the broker personally. We just, we didn't know just how personally until this chapter. So her name is Antia Darris, and, uh, yeah, one of, I, I think he said he had more than one daughter. I was going to say one of Viral Pratt's daughters, but I think... Because he was saying that he wanted Dandelion to sing at the wedding. I think it was his granddaughter's wedding. Either way, doesn't really matter. So, this Antiodaris and this Nikephor Moose, they go to the bank after the auction a couple of days later to sort out the money for the swords. And she needs to collect her commission from the sale, which she takes in the form of bank check. But Moose, he's very disgusted by all the fees applied to his total earnings. Uh, he doesn't want to have to put his money in a bank again, so he just requests all the money in gold. And it was funny um, reading that part about all of the different fees, like the the auction applied a fee and the bank applied a fee. And then he had to pay the commission to um, Antia. And it just made me think about how, like, there's a fee on every little thing. I mean, this guy's such a jerk. He's such a terrible person that you don't sympathize with him having to pay all of these fees on these swords that he um, stole. So, um, but it's just funny because it's like, if you ever, like, I I never do, like, I have, like, I've gotten the gift cards, you know, those food delivery services that are so popular these days, like Uber Eats and DoorDash, all those things. And like I, I got a gift card from work one time to... Um, like they wanted us to do some like team lunch. And they're like, oh, yeah, we will send everybody a gift card to DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever. And uh, I remember ordering something. And when I went to go pay for it using the gift card, they tack on so many different fees that your total order <laughs> ends up being like, <laughs> way more than the, the actual item of food that you're ordering. Like there's of course going to be like sales tax and you want to tip the delivery person, but then there's so many other fees and they're really high. And I was like, okay, this gift card doesn't even go for this lunch. It's not even worth it. Um, but anyway, it just made me think of uh, there's fees tacked onto like everything these days. Um, but it just made me think about how his, his disgust felt very, uh, familiar, but, this isn't a situation where you're going to feel sorry for this guy. But the point is that he gets the money in gold. She gets the money in a check. He gets it in gold. And Jennifer is at the bank while they're there. And she uses this opportunity to put a spell on that gold. So she can't do anything with the Antia's check, just the gold. But we don't see the results of that spell until the next interlude, which we'll talk about in a minute. So at the end of this interlude, Yennefer is explaining to Molnar that Geralt's swords are bound to him by destiny and that she needs to leave Novigrad immediately. So she's going to send someone to collect the swords later and leave them in a safe deposit box for now. So Geralt might have to wait a little bit longer to get his swords back, which is probably okay, because by this point, he's probably started to believe that he won't be getting them back at all. Uh, since he clearly did not make it to the auction and that was his only lead. So if he was to get the swords back and Yennefer wasn't there. Um, well, I mean, yeah, if he was to not get to the auction, like he did not and, and Yennefer wasn't there, then he w- there's no way he would have gotten this back because somebody else, a few other people were actually bidding on them. So someone else would have gotten them if Yennefer hadn't interfered and he would never have seen them again for sure. And, uh, and since she's sending someone else to get the swords, there's a possibility that he won't even know that it was Yennefer that recovered them for him. Unless the person that delivers them to Geralt informs him that it was Yen. But I can see her choosing to remain anonymous in this regard because they're not currently um, together. Like they're on non-speaking basis at the moment. Um, and it, that just seems like her style. So I wouldn't be surprised, but we'll see. So for the final interlude that we'll discuss today, Moose, the thief, the sword thief returns to the Osteria, the nice fancy restaurant in Karak where he was previously thrown out of. And he goes there set on showing off his recently acquired funds and spiting the owner for throwing him out the last time. And this does not go at all how he planned it to go. It is so good. This is actually a really satisfying interlude. So he shows up. He's acting very cocky. And the owner lets him in because he wants his business to maintain its classy and elegant appearance. Sad for him. <laughs> so he'd prefer to avoid causing his scenes. Like, yeah, just let him in. Whatever. It's fine. So Moose is seated at a table. And he goes to literally show off his money. He's got this big bag of money and when he throws a few coins onto the table they turn into poop (laughs) and he reaches his hand into the bag of gold and it's all just poop and that was Yen's spell so go Yen that was such great revenge on this guy for what he's done so this causes a huge commotion. All of the patrons freak out and they run out of the restaurant, completely disgusted as you would be. Can you imagine <laughs> you're out to eat and somebody at the table next to you just throws poop on the table? Like your appetite would be totally ruined. I don't think you'd ever go back to that restaurant. So actually, even though um, it was great revenge on this guy's part because of what's about to happen to him, you feel kind of bad for the owner of the restaurant. Uh, But the owner, uh, Phoebus Ravenga, instructs his guards to escort Mun, or I'm sorry, not Mun, Moose, out of the restaurant uh, to the outhouse where someone removes the latrine cover and he's thrown into the earth closet. Then Ravenga takes a wooden pitchfork and uses it to push him down. He completely submerges him into the waste and he does it several times. Like the the guy comes up gasping for air (laughs) He pushes it right back in, comes back up, gets pushed right back in. It's quite a disgusting image, but this guy deserved it. And it was actually nice to see some comeuppance for a bad character. So often antagonists get away with their crimes or they just die quickly, which I don't find to be as bad as what they deserve. Like the merchant Parlehi in chapter 15, uh, after what he did to that girl, he died very quickly. He was drunk. He just, boom, drowned. He he deserved worse than that. Like a quick death was it was too good for him. Uh, but you know, I, this, this was actually a very fitting form of justice for this guy. I just wish that Geralt knew that this was the fate of the person who stole his swords. I wish that he knew that the guy that caused him all of the stress and the trouble that he's gone through trying to get the swords back had this happen to him. And I wish he knew that Yen was the one who got it to happen this way. But... The fact that it happened at all will have to suffice. And, you know, it's actually, it's interesting to think that if Geralt was able to get to the auction on time, he would have recognized Mus from Karak as he encountered him multiple times there. Like, he saw him getting thrown out. The reason we know he got thrown out of the Osteria was because Geralt saw that happening. And also, if he made it on time, Yen maybe could have saved her money. So she spent 4,000 Novigradian crowns, and we've been educated enough on examples of Novigradian crowns throughout this book alone that we know that's a lot of money, especially considering how much money people were bidding on all the other items at the auction. That was a lot of money, but it's been made known before that she's balling, so she can afford it, but still it sucks that uh, that money had to go towards that when they shouldn't have been stolen in the first place, but... Okay. Got a good, got good revenge for that. So closing thoughts, um, bringing it back to chapter 15, the Aguara, really scary. Don't kidnap their children. Just leave them alone. Um, the story or the chapter, chapter 15 itself Honestly, it felt like it really wasn't even about Geralt and his story anymore. He was kind of just there, and, not, and I don't say that in a bad way. It's just, it's just how it did feel. It kind of felt like I was reading a different Witcher book for a while. We were so brought out of the main plot that it felt like we were reading like a like a separate story in the book, like the adventure of getting hunted by a vengeful fox woman. But it was good. It was it was exciting. Um, like I said, unpredictable, but very exciting. And it was cool. It was so cool to see again. I was so surprised by this. I did not think that we were going to get to see her in this book at all. Um, unsurprisingly, it was very short lived. I-, I still have not finished reading the book yet. I think by the time, um, the next episode comes out, I will have finished it. I mean, we only have four chapters after this one anyway, so there might only be like two or three more episodes after this we'll see but um yeah we're more than halfway through the book and we only saw yen in one little interlude so safe to say she's not in the book very much and that's okay it's just classic like when you look at the main series as a whole she's not present that much she is not really in the chapters that often and uh it's interesting when you think about how important of a character she is in the overall story and how little she shows up and this book does it the same way I I didn't think we'd see her at all though when I saw um when when she's first described it doesn't say her name it describes like her by her hair and forget exactly what it said I didn't write it down but I knew it was Yennefer based on the description and I I think I guessed I think I was like oh my goodness there she is that was a nice surprise. All right, looking ahead, I'm wondering, I'm left wondering at the end of this chapter if the Aguara is really going to come back and try to take her revenge on Geralt. And if she does, is she going to do it in this book? Don't tell me because I haven't finished it yet. But is she going to, are we going to see her return in this book and uh, do something bad to him? Maybe he doesn't even get his swords back. Maybe that's her revenge. <laughs> I just had that thought right now. Maybe, uh, The person that goes to return them to Geralt uh, gets uh, the sword stolen by the Aguara. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I am wondering if uh, maybe one of the misfortunes that he experiences in the future that we've already read about in the main series was actually secretly caused by the Aguara. I don't think so. possible. Um, uh, well, possible for somebody who hasn't finished reading the book yet, but, um, yeah, we'll have to see by the time we get to the end, at least where I'm up to now, we haven't seen her return. I am just wondering, I like, guess she going to secretly get her revenge or is it going, is she going to do something and never even know that, um, Geralt never even knows that it was her that caused some problem for him or is her revenge just saying, It's like what I was saying earlier, like it's anxiety inducing, like the anticipation. So maybe that's her revenge. Like, I'm going to come back for you when you least expect it. So he's just left on his toes at all times thinking like, oh my gosh, this, this woman who is this Fox woman that's capable of all these really powerful things is coming for me. And I don't know when and causes you to lose sleep and you can't eat. And, (laughs) and that's the real revenge. And she never actually does anything. I don't know. That's why this section is looking ahead, because we're looking into the future, what might be. Okay, just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you in the next episode.